Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Discourse. I'm your host, Brandon, and today I'm being joined, as always, by my lovely panel. We've been going for a long time, fellas, about a week, you know. So where do you want to begin? You know, I'm open to beginning a lot of places. Ah, you know, I... There's a couple I want to talk about. Uh, I want to get to. Well, you know what? Let's 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 do a Trump. <laughs> up. Let's. <laughs> I actually well, made up my mind. Let's All do right. a Trump update. We haven't talked about Trump in a while. I feel like he was banned from Twitter. Um, in the aftermath of the June sixth, or I keep saying June, but it was actually January. I guess it's because it's June now. In the aftermath of the January sixth, uh, insurrection, and I will say. It actually has been quite difficult for me to keep track of what he's been doing since then. John, what has the no Orange Menace been doing? Yeah, no, you don't know either? Well, no, like, I don't pay attention to him. I, all I, I know I is like, say, I, go ahead. I pay attention when the liberals react, and it seems like they're just, I, I, they're still doing the exact same thing they were doing before, which is, oh my God, Trump said something, and then it just turns out to be nothing. So I have no idea. What I do know is that Pence was giving a speech today in front of religious conservatives and he was booed. I don't know if he was booed off stage like a Dave Rubin-esque stand-up comedy act, but he was certainly booed by, you know, what's supposed to be his base. And some people were theorizing this was because of his unwillingness to support the January 6th insurrection that actually got Trump banned off Twitter in the first place. But, you know, what does that speak to the future of the Republican Party? Because, like, yeah, you're right, we haven't been keeping track of Trump because the Republican Party, you know, is dangerous enough, you know, with this Mitch McConnell's and the fucking Lindsey Graham's and, and shit. And the Joe Manchin's. Uh, oh, and the Joe Manchin's and the Kirsten Cinemas and, you know, all of the various Republicans in various shapes and form. But, like, you know, there is still a large contingent of the Republican Party that isn't being indicted currently that feels strongly about Trump. And what about this schism? I don't think there is a schism as much anymore. And we were talking about this before the show um, started. And Brandon, you made a really good point about uh, these deep red districts being gerrymandered in such a way that they're always going to be red. So you don't have to win a sizable part of the reasonable population. You just have to win other people who already agree with you. Which, given what we've seen with COVID, right? Given the, like attempted kidnapping of a governor in michigan even i mean well you shouldn't attempt to kidnap your governor um crazy white people because you don't want to wear masks um that's that's dumb um but even barring those people right like you're seeing what was even you know in high school right into between 2006 2010 like the Republican Party was like, these people are fucking nuts. And then you had the Tea Party come in and, you know, funded by the Koch brothers. And because they were so well funded, they just took over all of the Republican Party's uh, operated, like the ability to operate. They just took it over in its entirety and they got the Koch brothers what they want. But that was really the first step in laying the groundwork here. And so now you're seeing a lot of these people that subscribe to like the QAnon fucking conspiracy theory are actually running for Congress and quite a few of them, you know, when they're trying to challenge governors, they're trying to uh, take over party, like the party apparatus at the state level. And they're doing a good job, at least of taking over the Republican Party at the state level. Like they are actually winning important seats and they're going to start influencing who gets elected, um, who gets endorsed, how this money is going to be spent in these districts for these candidates. And so these people are getting into very real positions of power very quickly. I think it has to be addressed. Like, 
America's not slipping into fascism, you know, or further into fascism, rather, so much as, like, diving down into it as deep as they possibly can get. And you're seeing that being accelerated by things like gerrymandering of the filibuster. Yeah, that's actually a good point. America is diving dick first into fascism. That's, that's not what I said, but okay. <laughs> well, it's what you implied. But, yes, uh, that was what I, I implied, but okay. I definitely <laughs> heard dick first when Adair was talking. I don't know. It, it, I it was said deeper, implied. John. Deeper. I was going to say that I think it's good that, like, generally Trump has fallen off of the front pages of everything all the time. Although, as Adair mentioned, like, there's still kind of that kind of outrage machine in the humming in the background about whatever he does most recently. But it's definitely more in the background instead of leading every new show and every paper and so on and so forth. I think that's generally. But does it matter if it's not on the news anymore? Like, well, it's the too late. It's like, they, they already matter? screwed up. It's too late. Like, had they had they taken that approach during his first run, he would have probably been a joke candidate overall and would not have uh, gotten the traction to become president in the first place. But now, and the Tea Party aspects that you pointed out also contributed to that. So maybe he could have emerged under a, you know, hey, they're ignoring me, the best presidential candidate you could imagine kind of thing, kind of Bernie Sanders-esque uh, in his first run. That could have possibly succeeded, but I think it would have been much less likely than how the Pied Piper strategy and putting Trump and making him the front of the Republican Party. And then now, since regretting it, although like it's they're in this weird thing where they keep trying to insist that Republicans are reasonable and can be negotiated with, but are also completely irrational. And Well, of course they say that they're Republicans. Well, yeah. the thing <laughs> was, is that like, you know. Like you said, the Pied Piper strategy was implemented by the HRC campaign for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, where they said, let's elevate Trump because he's beatable. And now you've got they've backed themselves into a corner where they have been running strictly against Trump, not for any policy, not for any position, not for any doing anything, but just against Trump while making the case that, like, not all Republicans for what now six years ever since well, Hillary started the Pied Piper strategy, they've been running that same exact fucking campaign. So, like you said, Richard, they they've gotten themselves into a corner where. You know, right now, across the country, states' governments are restricting voting rights and overturning referendums that have passed, like the one in Mississippi that was, or Missouri that was for uh, legalization of marijuana. And then now another one that just happened, uh, I believe it was in California, in L.A., where a judge that was appointed from the Federalist Society basically just said, no, we're not going to redistribute or uh, defund the police. That's just not something we're going to do, even though it was a referendum that was voted on by the population. So like across the country, the Republicans are being the exact same thing. They're doing the exact same dangerous things that Adair was pointing out earlier. But Democrats have backed themselves into this fucking corner where they say, hey, look, you know, not all Republicans. We need Republicans. We need a strong Republican Party. And yet almost all of the Republicans that remain are either Tea Party or even further to the right. Because keep in mind, like when the Tea Party was doing their thing, they took out John Boehner. They took out the Speaker of the House. Like they had serious success within the power structures of the Republican Party. Meanwhile, like what happened with the Bernie movement within the Democrats? Obama made a phone call. We couldn't even get the head of the DNC. We couldn't even get Keith Ellison elected. Instead, you had uh, Tom Perez, who's now going to work for a, a law firm that busts up labor unions. So... You know, the the success that the Republicans have had or the, the right wing trajectory that Republicans have had is incredibly worrisome, as Adair had said. 
but you you can't you can't divorce that from Trump like the Democrats keep trying to do. And you see this like, you know, the the Chuck Schumer theory where it's for every uh, blue collar worker we lose in hearts of Philadelphia, we'll pick up two in the suburbs. It did kind of work for Biden. They did pick up educated white people in the suburbs. But what do they have to show for it? They haven't been able to do anything because, you know, their backers, the, the people who supply the money, don't want them to do any of the things that they ran on. So oh, now quick, let's just pause there real quick because I want to I want to point something out. You just said, right, and you're not necessarily wrong. I don't think they did. I don't think white, educated, suburban voters were, like, the reason why Joe Biden won. No, 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 but we didn't. I think it's it. a good point that when he picked them up, he's not doing the quote-unquote progressive things. But let's be real about this. It's not just the people that were giving him money that wanted that. It's these white, suburban, middle-class voters. They are divorced from the reality in which they live. And I think that's an important thing to point out. We, on our side, right, as, as a communist, I'm not just fighting for poor people. I'm trying to work for the betterment of everybody that's not a fucking, you know, in that in that 1%. I want, we need to take that money. We need to shift that wealth downwards. We need to make sure people are okay. But that includes not just fighting against the fact that we're going as quickly into full-blown brown shirts marching through the streets level fascism as we've ever seen this country going um but you've also got to fight against the fact that most that i think it's like 55 56 percent of the united states uh the adults in this country view themselves as conservative whatever that means so you've got to fight that innate inclination because you've been we live in such a heavily propagandized country and then you've got to fight against the liberals who, even the poor ones, live divorced from the reality in which they live. They live in a world that they remember as children, particularly in my my demographic amongst millennials. I know a lot of millennial liberals that are just now sitting here and they're, like, they're still living in the world that they grew up in in the 90s. They're still living as, you know, with this idyllic nostalgia of, you know, Bill Clinton and the White House and things being great and how happy everybody around them was and so they still think that's what the democrats are they don't actually have an understanding of what's going on things are changing they're not making as much money all these things are happening and they see it and they experience it and they feel it at least some of them again the college educated upper middle class white person definitely really isn't the pandemic was the first time i think a lot of these adults had to really struggle um but the one, the folks that would benefit from these policies that Biden said he was going to implement, that would benefit them because they are the like working class Americans who could really use that boost to their ability to just to survive, not even to function, but just to survive, right? But again, they're trapped in this propagandized nostalgia that says everything is fine now because the bad guy is gone, right? Right. If you build a boogeyman and you propagandize people propagandize people enough, as soon as that boogeyman you put in front of them is gone, they're going to think everything's A-OK. -okay. Look at how they're responding to uh, Biden keeping kids in cages. Look at how they're responding to police brutality. Look how they're responding to Biden's uh, domestic terrorist bill that he wants passed, right? And, and that's the thing I was going to be ultimately point out is that as they've backed them, as the Democratic Party has backed themselves into this corner, like Richard was saying, of saying, oh, well, Trump's bad, but not all Republicans. And meanwhile, all Republicans are essentially running to the right of Trump. 
they've now come into a position where, okay, well, the material conditions on the ground are getting worse for the majority of people now, and you're not doing anything to, to substantially increase or, or benefit their lives or increase their, their economic security or social security. Uh, so what are you doing? And all they're left with is symbols. And that's it. And everyone is starting to see, well, wait a minute. What the fuck? These symbols aren't actually doing anything for me. Yeah, Trump's gone, but, you know, poverty is still increasing. Yeah, Trump's gone. But, you know, now we still have, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene comparing mask wearing to the Holocaust, then going to the Holocaust Memorial and being like, oh, yeah, I was wrong. But still, the mask wearers are fascists. And it's like you still have Scott Bayo out there screaming about how uh, privately traded companies or saying that a, a company is is owned by the state because it's publicly traded and getting like thousands of people to agree with him and all of these people are rushing like you said headlong into fascism on the 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 side that's supposed to be the legitimate the good republicans and democrats are hell bent and and hide bound to not actually substantially increase uh, the the quality of life for the majority of Americans because their donors don't want them to. So where goes the legitimacy of the Democratic Party? Where are they left? They 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 painted themselves into a corner and they can't get out. And Trump's only like not really gone, but just in the background because of the division and the kind of the bubbling of the, how media works nowadays. He still gets uh, he does his rounds among his the people that are interested in what Trump is actually doing or genuine like want to follow that stuff. So he's still uh, they had a poll uh, in New Hampshire, St. Anselm College. It's an A.B. rated from 538 has Trump at 52 percent with the next closest being DeSantis in uh, Florida governor who has not necessarily been uh, very popular and way down at four percent in in fourth place <clears throat> under haley is pence who i can't believe he didn't support the insurrectionists and join them in their chance of hang mike pence right <laughs> well i mean but so like that, that ass... i was just gonna say that the, that's who the republican party is so the the romney that they envision that they're going to work with who was a monster when he was running against obama you know he there's 51 percent comment or whatever and like he is like looking at uh deplorable work conditions around the world or whatever is like why can't america be more like this yeah it's like that that section of the republican party he's getting he's pulling one percent out of new hampshire like this is the the republican party is trump trump is the republican party and if it's not trump it's worse yeah no it's so like that's my and that's the thing though too is like i think desantis is a good point and seeing just how deeply entrenched in the american psyche trumpism is right i think that's I don't like using that term because it invokes a lot of liberal ideology because it's not, you know, that Trump is some unique uh, person, but just how like his particular brand of fascism and how easily and happily it was accepted by the American populace, right, um, really tells you a lot about the conditions of this country. People always try to paint populism out to be some bad thing. But it shouldn't be a bad thing if you're if you're you know if a politician is saying, "Hey, I see things are bad in your life, and it's the government's fault in X, Y, and Z way." What's bad about what's going on with Trump is the fact that he's a fascist, right? But they try to then paint populism on the left. So if you go, you know, look at any election in South America, anytime a, a communist candidate is doing even marginally well, they're like this is a populist dictator right populist has become their new favorite buzzword to indicate that 
that brown person bad. They're just like the bad orange man. Like that's that's as simple as it fucking ends up being at the end of the day when we look at news reporting, right? But right. DeSantis really shows. I mean, they did that to Castillo just recently in Peru. Yeah. Peru, and his running, the woman he was running against was the daughter of a fucking literal fascist who yeah. who personally oversaw the sterilization of 300,000 indigenous women. And the American press was literally talking about how Castillo was the fascist. Yes. How dare like these politicians, ass. you know, employ a strategy of being popular in a democracy? How dare they? Well, I think it's like the Democrats always think that like, OK, hey, look, giving things to the people who vote for you is like the contra fucking cheat code and they don't want to use it because they're too morally upstanding. It's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. The broader point that I'm, that I'm making poorly, admittedly, is that DeSantis, I think, really shows you just how far down that fascist rabbit hole America is gone. The dude is not in any way shape. Like, I don't think there's anything. I don't I don't know if you can call him or anybody else that's really coming up. That's the any Republican rising star, quote unquote, anything less than a fascist. And for me personally, for me personally, I am worried that we're going to continue to see this descent deeper and deeper. And I think it's really just going to continue to accelerate. And I think that puts people in a really uncomfortable position, I, I, I'm again looking at uh, what Biden was coming out with with his new classifications of domestic terrorists. I think, frankly, depending on who you ask, we we would fit neatly on that list. We were joking about it before the show that everybody but John would have, you know, the a racial connotation to their kind of domestic extreme their domestic terrorism charge. Plus being an anarchist, and John would just get an anarchist one just because you know he's white, even though he kicks it with black people. It's a real, it's a real concern to see that the quote-unquote level-headed, intelligent and rational party is saying, "Oh no, let's let's do this and let's just put all these people under here." Because once you make things more ambiguous, it's easier to paint black people and Black Panthers, you know, people like the Black Panther Party, for example, they would be compared to Nazis. They would in fact be worse than Nazis. They're already doing that. Well, I think that goes back to your earlier point, Adair, and the Tea Party of the time of 2010. You know, it's easy to forget that they didn't go away. They just took over the Republican Party over the Republican Party. I mean, then suddenly just like come to their senses and expel that Tea Party that the liberal political media empire was making fun of in the early 2010s, the early part of the Obama administration, you know, the John Stewart rally to restore sanity object of scorn keep your hands off my medicare you know those people didn't go away they just became mainstream republican voters and you know the party elite apparatus like the mcconnell's and the well not boehner's obviously but the mcconnell's of the time they just started you know changing their language to appeal and dog whistle more to this new rabid base and so you know these victories that the democratic party are so proud of are always just cyclical and then we end up with worse and worse versions of the Republican Party. So I agree with Richard. I mean, not that I did something to agree with or disagree with. Trump is just this looming threat on the horizon. But like Trumpism, the QAnon brand of like far right conspiracy theory that is so now supplanting or effusing with the general Republican version of conspiracy theories, 
is just the lay of the land now. Like they're not being actively rebuked by the Republican Party. They're being actively embraced. The Marco Rubio's and Ted Cruz's and McConnell's of the world are just trying to have their cake and eat it too. But soon that'll just be the lay of the land of the Republican Party. And we'll still have like a neoliberal Democrat saying that like, oh, well, we got to find our way halfway there with these QAnon chiefs. Right. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, if you read Jakarta Method and you can go back to our interview with Bevins about it, like some of the stuff that was coming out in Indonesia at that time about who the opposition to the incoming fascists were was absolutely batshit insane. And it was the, like ma cla massive misclassification of who was on the left, what ideology they belonged to and lies about what it meant to be a communist. And we're seeing the resurgence of that kind of language on the right. Like when I was a kid, the right really didn't talk. When I was a young, young kid, the right talked a lot about communists. Then it's kind of went away because no one really was a communist anymore. And now all of a sudden you have right wing politicians who have uh, massive platforms talking about the resurgence of communists and then making gigantic misclassifications by calling like people like Nancy Pelosi, socialist and communist. And then you have the Biden administration, because, of course, they're going to distance themselves from that label, coming out with this new, what, what was it, do, domestic violent extremist categories, where they've literally listed out people, um, and I'm going to read the anarchist violent extremists right now, because it says, DVEs who oppose all forms of capitalism, corporate globalization, and governing institutions which are perceived as harmful to society. Like they've they've literally captured and, and set aside an ideology that is adhered to by the majority of the people who probably listen to this podcast and are on the left in order to distance themselves from the Republicans that are now screaming a bloody murder about and lies about communists. So what's going to happen when a a. What's going to happen when the, these people who are screaming about this demand some sort of concrete action? Biden's already telling you. To Adair's point, you know, about gerrymandering in the red districts, in reality, because of the way Republicans have been allowed to like tip the scale in their favor, America generally suffers from their infighting or from like their party, you know, primary system in a way that the Democrats necessarily don't benefit from because they've been allowed to carve out these deep red districts where in reality, the only thing that actually happens is that a more right wing person edges out the incredibly right-wing incumbent because the, a lot of these places, again, Democrats aren't running any real candidates against them because they've given up on. Well, because it's not going to get them any more money, right? They're like, well, it's too red a district. We're just not going to waste any money here. It's just like, There's no consultants that work there. There's no money. Like, it's all this huge money funnel of these a bunch of fail sons and so on and so forth. And, like, it, it's all about where they're located. And so, like, you'll have huge reallocations of funds into places that make absolutely no political strategical sense. Go ahead. You know, and that's the funny thing, though, because, like, you know, you speak about the Tea Party, and it was this object of, like, ridicule amongst Democrats. But the Tea Party was successful in taking a Republican Party. Like the only real, not only real, but like the, at that point in time, contemporary of the Tea Party that was supposed to be some like progressive in the sense that they mean it now, like, you know, slightly to the left of center liberal, you know, the progressive equivalent of, the, of that at the time was like Netroots Nation. It was what was eventually, you know, going to just become like that convention that people go down to that's more or less just for networking and smoothing. It just became like, a, again, a consultant farm a way to build a brand and that just speaks to the i think priorities of the democratic party and their differences it's like the republican party would rather turn 
the nation over to a series of like you know conspiracy theorists who don't believe in viruses or vaccinations or like water or whatever but that Rather, has to do with the fundamental difference between what the Tea Party was asking for and what the like democratic yeah. voter base is asking for. The fact that it's easier to marry that kind of like right-wing racist na- ethno-nationalist base that's deeply rooted in American culture with an obscure it in sort of molded into a pro-elite message because that's what it's always been in this country than it is to try to convince people that like cops and the people that cops abuse can be friends. And the Democratic Party would like to be the latter, and the Republican Party has managed to situate itself as being the former. And while there are actually like less of those people, they've been allowed to tip the scale to make that not matter as much. Yeah, one aspect that kind of makes it so concerning is the like as you've been all mentioning the like hapless nature of Democrats' ability to to resist this, while also welcoming in the Nicole Wallaces, the Bill Crystals, and like retaining the Claire McCaskills as if they aren't the opposite of what you should take for political advice, and these weren't considered monstrous, you know, uh, propagandists. Just you know, not even like what I guess it might be what a little over a decade now ago is like. The the tent's so large, it includes what was the opposition, but the opposition hasn't actually changed their perspective or their positions or their politics. It's just now there's an even more fascist, more ridiculous, more rage-filled, more racist right-wing monster to their right. And so now they're just brought into the tent. They're just shifting the politics of the Democratic Party closer to what the Republican Party used to be, rather than Republicans coming over into a progressive party that is actually, you know, not going to lead us down to climate catastrophe. And the thing is, is that the the thing is, is that the rhetoric is is all that matters. You know, like if you've got John McCain like coming out and saying things uh, that are are good for LGBTQ people, um, then he's welcome in the party, despite the fact that he's literally a war criminal has advocated for policy positions and economic policy positions in particular that have killed probably millions of people like that. That whole thing is, is I see the biggest difference is that when you're looking at how that that wedding that Bannon was just talking about of the the ideals of the Republican Party, the far right fascists and the American elite are, are melded together, it's it comes back to the economic base that is actually necessitates that kind of exploitation. So it's like, you know, going back to the American system all the way back to its founding where it's slavery and genocide, you know, we need to have an economic system of exploitation. We now have have had 40 years where we've sent it abroad, but now it's coming back home again. And so you see the rise of fascism because they're wedding that same type of racism that allowed for our policies overseas to persist with uh, the domestic racism that we always had in order to facilitate the continued existence of the economic empire. And quick, and the I, Democrats are, are, are 100% on board with that. I mean, they're running to defend the FBI today. Well, I mean, of course, but that's the thing, right? I actually want to circle back just a little bit because I think you said something that really kind of just that that tells you why all these things are happening why the democrats are moving so far like further and further to the right every single chance they get one outside of being republicans essentially or capitalists at the very least on that side of the spectrum when you start allowing republican cast-offs into your party which the democratic party loves to do anytime they're like well as long as you say the right social messaging you're allowed in this club 
the theme just don't that... overtly hate the wrong groups mm-hmm. of people in public without at least a tearful apology later yeah but like real talk and once republicans are in there republicans do what they're good at they bully the shit out of democrats and they start hitting and they start hitting and they start hitting and they start hitting and they start like telling you, no, things need to be the way I want it to be done. And Democrats refuse to fight, period, because they're continuing to benefit, right? At the end of the day, they're making money off of it, but they continue to move further and further and further and further and further to the right. And they continue to block progress going back to the left because of how their party ideology has to shift and change to make Republicans feel comfortable because Republicans will be like, well, I want to be in your party, but you just don't, you're just not conservative enough on economic issues for me. Democrats are so eager to make them like them that they'll just do whatever the fuck it takes. And then they'll just like, okay, well, what if we just moved over to this part of the right? They're like, okay, well, now I'll come sit with you guys. And then still stop them from doing anything that goes even slightly to the left. And Democrats are like, well, we can't we can't alienate this one super conservative guy in our little friend group because we, we don't want to be in a bubble. We don't want, like, no. They, yeah, I mean, just to add, extend that point, if Republicans start going in on AOC for being a communist and Chuck Schumer's worried about keeping his job and AOC's moving for his job, he's going to he's gonna side, he's going to be like, yeah, you know, she is a radical far left. He's going to side with that because he'd prefer to keep his job than even whether he believes the rhetoric or not. Right. It's kind of like how um, Adam Schiff constantly spouts off about what's happening overseas and just basically lies because that's how he keeps his job. Well, I mean, I was just going to say the handful of Republicans in the Democratic Party, you know, they definitely serve that purpose to, like, make the few Democrats who think about that and who feel good about that level of, I guess, commiseration with their enemies to do that. But, like, really, they just provide an excuse for the Democrats, like you said, to point to why, you know, they they can't do anything too radical lest their party become inhospitable for too large of a portion of just this fake population. And I think that's why you often see Democrats who are acting as though they're like speaking to and like listening for and waiting for the response of like this invisible population because like they are like they've been conditioned to think that there is this super majority or like this silent majority or like this decent sized portion of soccer moms whose votes are really going to side decide this election because they're in play and they're winnable through rhetoric and you know things that aren't material in nature only to find out that like a they don't exist in any real quantities And if they did, they certainly weren't going to vote for the Democratic Party, right? The only kind of messaging this stuff is for is, like, the handful of never-Trump pundits who make their bones by, like, going, well, I could see myself voting for the Democratic Party, but Neera Tandon's a little too far left for me. She's a little too mean for Republicans. And then, yeah, the Democratic Party can bend over backwards to uh, pretend like they're trying to commiserate with that person. But ultimately, they usually just want to, you know, they usually just want to do what they're doing anyway. It's just an excuse. But a decent portion of the population thinks that these people are worth listening to. But I feel like, you know, in the absence of Trump in the media landscape, it feels like the never Trumpers have had a trouble, you know, have had trouble defining themselves for their liberal audience in a way that's been, I guess, meaningful. I feel like we've been seeing a lot more people trying to like relitigate the reasonability or like the reasonableness of having 
believe there were weapons of mass destruction or have having supported the Iraq war. I think that like, yeah, Trump's continues to be a thing on the horizon, but ultimately speaking, he's just the Republican threat du jour, right? He's just a, another face on this amorphous Republican threat that we've been, you know, being hit with for as long as I can remember in terms of like being politically aware. Like there's just something out there that if we go too far to the left, we're going to be punished with. And now Trump is a very real threat. When in reality, the left didn't lose to Trump, like, you know, centrist did, you know, Hillary Clinton, queen of the centrist did. But we can never talk about that. Well, that, I mean, but that's the thing is it's a it's a that goes all the way back to McGovern and everybody else. It's it's the constant thing where they said even Dukakis was too far to the left when Dukakis was running a very centrist campaign. It's always the left's fault because the left would make demands that would prevent them from getting paid. So it's always got to be the left's fault because they need to get paid. But this is also another thing that, and I know we brought it up on the show too. How many of you can really sit down right now and say, if I go talk to somebody in my life that I, you know, some family member that I don't know for sure is super informed, how many of them even understand the shit that they're talking about? How many of them aren't just parroting whatever the fuck they've heard from other people? You know, funny enough, I think if you talk to people about like economic issues, like practical economic issues, like how do you at least you know if they're not like super rich or like really, really indoctrinated by like mainstream MSNBC, Fox News, like people who don't watch any news, basically, if you talk to them about economic issues, I think on average, regardless of what they identified as, you would get better answers on like economic issues and maybe geopolitical issues than you'd get from the average politician, at least at the national level, Democrat or Republican. Because I think generally speaking, there's a sense that pe people have a sense they're being fucked over. I think that like everybody has this underlying sense in America, rightly so, that they're being fucked over. And because they're robbed of like a language of class and labor, most of them can't really articulate it very well. But like if you talk to people with like the right kind of leading questions, not like too leading, but like, hey, you know, what do you think about like your boss? What did you think about, like, you know, your school, like, you know, like the services, the government supplies them like properly. I think that you would have some pretty radical ideas. For example, like when people were saying that, you know, no one would pay taxes for free college. I just went around talking to people at like a gym and I was just asking, like, hey, would you be willing to have rich people's kids go to public college for free if, you know, you and your kids could go to public college for free? And everyone was like, yeah, of course. The only time I ever heard anyone say opposite was like the upper middle class people who could afford to send their kids to school. Uh, but really, it you know, it wouldn't be super duper easy like millionaires. I, would, I think you would get worse answer on social issues. I don't even think necessarily that it's social issues. I think you ask good questions. I think you ask good questions. I think generally speaking, if you ask about social issues that aren't related to the person's specific identity or someone they know, you'll get worse answers. But I think that's by design. We've been strategically robbed of the ability to navigate the world through like the language of class and labor and like, yeah, general solidarity, general, like, you know, general social cohesion. And we've been left with these very vague narratives about identity that are completely not rooted in a lot of people's material conditions. And so, like, I think a lot of people, you know, 
there are narratives about the inherent virtue or inherent like progressiveness of non-white populations when i think if you talk to a lot of like black people incredibly nativist there's an incredibly nativist strain oh yeah you know every time there's like a black soldier people are like confused about what this means it's like oh yeah it doesn't mean anything (laughs) it's just like a lot of black people like are incredibly patriotic because we're all being uh, indoctrinated into that world i so i think to a degree, but I think there's two things that have to be addressed here. One, I think you're better able to articulate questions in such a way that it's, it is going to require people to actually, I think, truthfully respond or at least really consider what's being asked of them. That's one. Two, I think if you go and I think if you talk to your average person, you say, it's like if you put somebody in a rural area without a lot of internet, right? And you're just like, how would you fix things? I think they would tell you the exact same things that we also feel need to be addressed. I think where a lot of people fall apart is when you ask them two questions. How do you fix it? And why is it so bad? I think that tends to be how those conversations are also introduced just kind of organically, right? So if you're going and talking to somebody, I think your average person would like, let's say, again, let's just go back to rural internet, right? If you talk to anybody, you know, in a rural area who had poor internet connection and couldn't really you know, do the things they needed to do. They didn't have a lot of cell service, that kind of stuff. I think they could easily and very well point that out and say, well, these companies are screwing me over. And then you give it, okay, cool. Well, why are the companies allowed, being allowed to screw you over? And then because of that level of indoctrination, I think people have a hard time seeing that those companies have bought and paid for the government in and of itself, that they donate to both parties and that it's capitalism that is at the root of this but they can't see beyond the other party that I, they don't like. I agree with you 100%. What's your second point? Because I want to jump in after you're done. Because I have, I, I've been those thinking are those about two. this too. Okay. You know, I want to acknowledge that we're using incredibly vague philosophy 101. I've talked to people just in general, not since the pandemic, but in the middle of the primary when Sanders was winning, I talked to as many people as possible to figure out what they thought. But, you know, we're still using like vague philosophy 101 bullshit. But I want to go down this path, A, because, you know, Jordan Peterson is allowed to do it. But B, because B, because I've been thinking of something semi related to what you were saying, Adair, in relationship, not necessarily to like how people in America navigate the world, broadly speaking, but the proliferation of conspiracy theories related to like anti-vaxxing generally and also like anti-COVID vax and like what, if anything, makes Americans more susceptible than other people, especially during a time like this, to conspiracy theories. And I had the idea that, like, what, you know, and this is semi-related to your point, which is why I'm bringing it up, like, what makes Americans susceptible to conspiracy theories, like crazy shit like QAnon or all that stuff, is, is because a core facet of conspiracy theories is that they supplant a reasonable explanation, aka capitalism, that cause these obvious issues in our society. They are incapable of assigning that blame to capitalism, and instead it becomes the work of some school of mystery, like the Illuminati, or some, like, problematic, like, racial group, like, you know, Jewish people, like, in some sort of, like, triumvirate with, like, lesbians and black people trying to control everything from behind the scenes. Because Americans are not necessarily taught to understand capitalism as being a primary driver for anything, whenever we're rightfully skeptical of what is going on in the world and we see, you know, hey, look, you know, what's going on in the news? We are being lied to in the news. We are being lied to in newspapers. It's very clear. People are incapable of sussing out what's actual cause, i.e., you know, either 
literally capital coordinating or just capitals aligned interest overlapping in such that it seems or might as well be coordinating. You know, basically there is a conspiracy, but it's not like Jewish people or Illuminati. It's just like, yeah, it is just Bill Gates. And the funny thing about it is that you think about the people like the Nate Silvers, the people who consider themselves, I think, to be rational, reasonable thinkers who have like hopped on this like lab leak theory. And when you abstract everything out, the people who think that America is this beacon on the hill that's only doing right in the world and we're always like putting forth freedom and integrity and our you know elections are fair all of that shit they have a less real grasp on how the world works than some of the people who believe that aliens control everything and in it's solely for the reason that like in the middle of that stuff is peppered in facts about like well yeah you know they're like the media is owned by like 12 companies and that is kind of a problem. They're just like these subtle recognitions of these facts, basically the same thing that Tucker Carlson does when he like wins people over with his bullshit. These subtle recognitions of like, yeah, really problematic facts and really suspicious facts about our society that we're never taught to identify as problematic because they're just related to the way we've been monopolized by big corporations. And so instead, we're just left with these voids of knowledge that are being filled up by bigots. That goes to Adair's point. People in America are rightfully skeptical of things that are going on in their life, but they're often left devoid of a lot of the building blocks and tools necessary to rightfully identify or organize what's going on. And some of them fall into the various forms of the conspiracy theories they disengage. But at the same time, that does sound like an out for those people because in, in truth, not everyone has to read theory to get to basically the correct place in terms of their mm -hmm. politics. And so, you know, you should never make yeah. excuses totally for people who fall down the wrong path because like, yeah, it's easy to fall down the wrong path in America because a lot of our myths and narratives are racist and bigoted in nature. So like when we hear other bigoted narratives that at least identify the suspicious things that are going on in our society, they are naturally more appealing than narratives that speak to like things that we don't really have in our society, like social cohesion and like communism and stuff like that. So it's easy for people to fall down that negative path, but obviously not everyone does that. And so like we have to be able to balance that sort of understanding of like why it's so easy to fall down the wrong path. But sorry, go ahead. Agreed. Not everyone has a Nazi face as a teenager. Most well, people I think don't. sincere investigations of anything leads you to identify similar patterns, like whether it's capitalism, white supremacy, misogyny. You keep seeing these repeated themes, and it's like, it doesn't matter if you're looking for them or you're just trying to understand a particular topic or uh, whatever, is you keep seeing these recurring issues pop up. And so whether you diagnose it as a problem or as the way things are, whatever, however you diagnose it, you can see the same identifiers popping up over and over and over again. And I, I recently was thinking about this too, about like, how do, how do we get to these positions that, you know, that people are maintaining? And so I thought back to when I wasn't as radical as I was and like what it was. And part of it is, is even though you keep bumping into those things where it's like, oh, you know, that's why this is the way it is. It's it's because of capitalism and the, the system is set up in this way in order to enrich these people. And like there's supposed to be maybe some sort of competition to be one of those people or something. But that's also rigged for all these obvious reasons. But then like most people have already been filled with the propaganda. You've been indoctrinated. So you have this other worldview that you have to reconcile with what you discover in these investigations. And so 
I think what some people do is when they start having those, going through those investigations, coming to those conclusions, they just realize, oh, that causes this internal conflict. I'm going to stop trying to figure that stuff out. Or when I do try to figure that stuff out, I'm going to go with these other things that don't cause those internal conflicts. And and, and those Absolutely. those other narratives are extremely readily available because the Empire needs them in order to facilitate the, the easy exit from the on-ramp of radicalization. So you have, like... You know, the the Jordan Peterson walking around saying, oh, if you just clean your room, then all of these feelings of alienation and these feelings of discontent and these these massive, massive inconsistencies in your world around you will just disappear. Or you have Ben Shapiro saying, yeah, it's all of uh, the fact that you're not following logic. So therefore you have to do it. Or you have Nancy Pelosi saying, well, you just didn't have an opportunity and it's because you didn't work hard enough to get that opportunity. So it's how you have a Republican and Democrat Party that can't agree on anything somehow unanimously passed giving everybody free money checks like that completely obliterates both of their ideologies yep. in ways because they knew is like if they didn't give people new something to order off of Amazon something to be able to make sure that like their bills were paid and all those other things people were going to start thinking and asking those questions and coming to those conclusions and taking yep. those off ramps on to radicalization and it's just it's so plain out there and one of the things it's like plain in my face is what I would feel and it's like we talked before the show and I guess we should mention it too it's like Joe Biden's like could you imagine you know if uh, yeah. America was interfering in elections and everybody knew it. It's like when they say things like that, that's one of the things that pushed me away from the Democratic Party in the first place. The disrespect in that in him saying that and assuming, as you guys mentioned earlier or when we were talking before, is it, it assumes a total ignorance and oblivion, obliviousness of the people that it's meant to like that it's targeted at, which is only Americans. Yeah, it, it's so absurdly offensive that it's like I can't. I, I, I'm not going to be associated with people that think I'm that oblivious. That's that's rude. That's unacceptable. At least he added the you know if everyone knew part though, Richard. right? Because like that's like that's the truth. <laughs> the way he said it too. It just feels like everybody does know. Like we, no, we do. That's the thing, Adair. We, we do. True, true, true. You know, true. so like we this is the a different no, kind of circle. But this is the thing I wanted to get to with my point was that you know like like we talked about that indoctrination. We talked about that propaganda. Americans are probably the most propagandized people that have ever existed on the planet before, and it's been so fucking good and so fucking succinct that we. We have no idea that we are essentially the continuation of the Fourth Reich. Like, you have most Americans have no clue that most post that, like, okay, you know, like I say this all the time. The Nazis are overall across the board seen as the enemy. And you can tell that because, you know, even though they say the Republicans say the communists are the bad guys, they always call them fascists or authoritarians. Right. So the idea of everyone agrees on Nazis are bad guys. And yet most Americans have no fucking clue that for geopolitical purposes, in order to facilitate the formation of the new empire that they were building in the post-war consensus, the United States helped so many Nazis and utilized those Nazis for purposes that were not like good shining city on the hill kind of purposes. We put them out to murder people. And when you start talking about that, it becomes one of those moments where like you that Richard was talking about, where they run smack dab into this information and they just stop. And I don't understand why it is that they stop because I've seen it happen in this in particular where they just fucking stop and stop examining like, hey, you know what? Uh, Hitler's chief uh, aide de camp became the head of NATO.
I think rebuilding worldview, I'll, I'll let you get in. I just want to say rebuilding worldview is hard work, but also I think one of the issues is that if the older and longer that you've gone living these lies, the more you have to account for yourself. And that's another toll that people aren't really prepared to, to tangle with. I guess it's like we talked about in the way back in 2016 about the, the white women of a certain age who are backing Hillary as a a a part of their identity. Ultimately, I think that to start from the position that America is a beacon on the shining hill, which is kind of a prerequisite of our political media space, like our legitimate one, makes you uniquely susceptible to, if not conspiratorial thinking, certainly reactionary thinking, because you're taught that the only expertise you need is your ability to suss things out with your senses, usually. You know, you're just allowed to aimlessly wander, especially if you're part of that, like, elite media conglomerate. It makes you uniquely uh, susceptible to conspiratorial thinking yes. because America is so deeply tied to capitalism and, the, you know, rather and through the through the veil or through the lens or framework of anti-communism, quote unquote, that, you know, if you can never identify capitalism as the core root of any problem, you're just automatically going to go down to some conspiratorial path. You know, if you can't identify, you know, poverty and tough on crime bills that are the result of private prison industry lobbyists, you're going to identify the cause of crime as like race science and black people. And like people don't think of that as a conspiracy theory because it's deeply tied into like the eugenicist roots of American anthropology and et cetera. But that is a conspiracy theory. It's not true. It's not rooted in any real science. It's been largely supplanted, but we find ourselves constantly relitigating it because it's tied into the mythos of America and it justifies a lot of our, our foreign policy. We have a core group of people who are, you know, staffing our media where the prerequisite is that you have to believe at the core of your sort of geopolitical uh, beliefs that America, while it may do bad things, you know, to their point, like, why don't people know? People know about the bad things America does, but that's never proof of America's, like, inherent immorality. These are just discrete things that America once did in the past, and at some point, they stopped. And at what point they stopped, we could never tell you, but at some point, they stopped. And, of course, the conspiratorial string in the Republican Party is a little bit stronger than that of the Democratic Party. But a lot of By that necessity. is necessity. But the types of conspiracies that we all believe as the result of neoliberal and neoconservative hegemony are just incredibly radically ahistorical. I don't think most Americans know anything about history. Yeah. To the point about, like, to, the point, to Biden's point, like, if you don't know enough about American history to know about our, like, influence in the geopolitical space in terms of coups and shit like that, you don't know anything about American history, much less knowing anything about, like, the racial and gender and LGBTQ politics that have been erased domestically. Well, I just want to point out that it's not just our media. So my housemate is also in grad school and is also becoming a teacher and they're a historian. That's what they did. Uh, their undergraduate studies are and they're about to be a social studies teacher. Well, we were talking about the federally mandated te- exams you have to pass in order to become a teacher thanks to the No Child Left Behind Act. They're teaching on these exams that you have to say that the correct answer to what kind of system is communism, the only correct answer that they have is they say it's authoritarian. And they say, what kind of system is capitalism? And your response is supposed to be democracy. This is what you have to pass to become a teacher. It's not so much do you know the subject as it is, are you indoctrinated enough to then really indoctrinate other children? 
And it's terrifying to really think that people will go to college, read and learn about history, decide, I want to be a history teacher. Well, I'd take that back. Most high school history teachers aren't actual historians. They're, they went to college to become high school teachers. Mine was a PE teacher that literally yeah. said he knew nothing about history would continue. I mean, I've met art. I've met people that have their certification in teaching English and they're being asked to teach math because the teaching shortage is that severe. But like in part, because in these in these subjects, you can't at all slip away from the American narrative and it's indoctrinating every generation coming up. Right. And, and the thing well, you is, you don't need to know history. You just got to know that America's right. Great. And the thing is, is that that like we were talking about the uniqueness of American susceptibility to, to conspiratorial thinking. And it's because all of that is so shoddily put together. So like you can just find one little piece of information. that will break all of that apart. And so your brain just breaks down, basically, which means that you then have to go looking for answers elsewhere, because like you've been like we've been saying, the indoctrination, while it is shoddy it is thorough so that you can't look to communism you can't look to capitalism as a, a problem so you start looking like brandon was saying at everywhere else under the sun but here's so here's the thing though here's the thing about conspiracy theory and this is the thing that i think a lot of people don't understand and it's something that at least i've talked about a lot when i was doing undergrad because i was in the sciences particularly in my physics classes because flat earth theory is such a big thing it's so much Conspiracy theory is not attractive necessarily because we don't know anything, but because it makes us feel like we know a lot about a really complicated yeah. subject. It's much easier to believe the moon landing is fake than to try to sit, than to accept that you will never be able to understand the all of the processes, all of the things that had to go into that being possible, unless you take the time, you have the access and you're able to go to school and you major in math and or physics or engineering. And even then you're still going to have some holes. Like I can't explain everything, but I disappoint a lot of people when I tell them that aliens aren't visiting the planet because that's a very simple explanation to UFOs. But to understand why I'm saying what I'm saying, you have to take into account a lot of different concepts in physics and chemistry and mathematics, and they're all really dry and boring and difficult. But that other one, it's simple. It's sexy. It makes you feel really, really smart. And that's one of the dangers of conspiracy theory and one of the dangers of the continued dismantling of our education system in America. Well, you know, I definitely agree. And I think that a lot of people focus on the conspiracies as being anti-science and don't focus enough on conspiracy groups and like just how deeply both social and anti-social they are. Whenever Tucker Carlson goes on television and tells people that vaccines are bad or any number of fucked up things, like he is making it harder for your everyday average person to navigate a rapidly diversifying world. You know, he's making it harder for the members of his audience, 85 years old, or, you know, in the case of Charlie Kirk, 85 years old in spirit and politics and, of course, posture. Um, you know, he just makes it harder for them to have lives outside of the conspiracy theory group of Fox News yeah, or of, you know, QAnon or Flat Earth. Because, like, yeah, most people, despite how friendly the media wants to pretend like you're going to be to like you need to be to like racist or like whatever you know they don't like that it's like goes back to what Adair was saying like the reason they call communists fascists is because normal people don't like fascists you know mm -hmm. normal people know that nazis are bad you know only in the world of politics in the world of constant equivocations in the world of constant like worrying about like you know ironically pc culture are people afraid of calling like nazis nazis in the real mm -hmm. world once you're identified as a nazi people don't like you 
we're being told that there's a fake population that we're trying to win. In reality, there's a real population that we're losing because we're ceding so much ground to like the narratives of the far right and how they fit in with the traditional narratives about the way America should work to the point in which, you know, we end up with, I guess, slavery being justified by the Supreme Court in the case of Nestle overseas while Juneteenth being recognized as a national holiday at the same time. Yeah, with eight to one and the only person who was dissenting on the Supreme Court was a conservative. Just real quick, because I think we should get into that too. I just want to point out. If you ever want to prove that flat earth theory is wrong to somebody, you can do it really practically, uh, especially if you're like an eyedropper. Get a drop of some liquid, ideally water, put it on a flat surface like a table. Gravity acts on an object from all sides. The normal force that is that thing that's going to keep something going through a solid object is going to press up directly from the bottom. So what you'll see if earth was flat, because you'll see it, you'll be able to actually model it on a flat surface. It'll form that kind of roundish bubble. Ask them if the world's water kind of rounds up like on a bubble. Therefore, the earth cannot be flat. It's a practical demonstration. Frankly, I just have one question for you, and we're just going to pivot, hard pivot into John talking about the Supreme Court case. I know he wants to get into that before we, you know, head out for close out the episode. How can any surface be flat if the earth is curved? Boom. (laughs) (laughs) It's not checkmate. It's non-Euclidean geometry. You're not able to see these curves at the perspective that we have. You have to go out larger. But if you really like, even like there's, there's simpler ways. If you live along a coastline, go to the ocean and, you know, you can see a ship going. Eventually that ship is, you're no longer going to be able to see it. If the earth is flat, you'll be able to see it. So wouldn't that technically mean that every flat surface is technically curved at some perspective? Boom. You heard the man about Checkmate. his non-Euclidean man. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't. It's non-Euclidean, not non-Euclidean. <laughs> sir, 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 I am I am a devoted fan of Batman. I don't ever go anywhere near the Euclidoris. Uh, John, please, please talk to us about slavery. All right, so... <laughs> we've we've been we've been told we covered it on the show i've covered it on on the twitch cast as well um obama's one of obama's solicitor generals was arguing in front of the supreme court on behalf of nestle for nestle is being sued by people in africa who are subjected to child slavery in order to grow co- to harvest cocoa for nestle's chocolate Nestle and Obama's uh, Solicitor General Neil Katel, or Katyal uh, argued that, and this is a direct quote from the New York Times. Last week, he argued that because the corporation that supplied Zyklon B to the Nazis for use in their extermination camps was not indicted at Nuremberg, Nestle and Cargill should not be held reliable for their use of child slave labor. In his argument before the court... Cocktail espoused a view of corporate immunity so expansive that even conservative judges seemed skeptical. If you took him at his word, he was effectively asking the Supreme Court to make it impossible for any foreigner to sue any company for any harm done to them, up to and including kidnapping and enslavement. And what this has basically done is that it's enshrined the what has been practiced for a long time, which is American corporations ignoring the alien tort reform. Uh, or alien tort laws. So now Nestle, which was running these plantations from America with American middle managers who were dictating the price points that the, the plantations had to hit, which necessitated them using sl- child slaves in order to do so, um, 
got away scot-free with setting all of this up by pleading in such incompetence that they couldn't ever have known they were utilizing slavery while also setting the necessary price points for the harvesters. And meanwhile, they also set up the entire plantation system such that they had plausible deniability, much like, you know, Kathy Lee Gifford and other people have done with sweatshops in Asia. They basically set it up to be a subsidized company that only has one client, and that's Nestle. So it's kind of like independent contractor status, but for a corporation. And it's really quite gross, because this is going to essentially enshrine into law the fact that American corporations can exploit anywhere as awfully as they want in order to produce the profits that they need. And they'll never be able to be held to account in American courts. I mean, I'm not surprised. No, nor am I. Like, like I mean, we have to really, and this is, I think, where an understanding of history becomes useful right in a country that was built off genociding the indigenous population and enslaving a whole other population um and then even after you know we weren't actively bringing over more slaves from africa you have things like the dred scott decision you've got a bunch of states seceding from the country to become their own country specifically because they wanted to keep my you know my ancestors and you know the other black folks in this country enslaved like that was the only reason that was what they wanted they you like, have nope. the fact that slavery didn't end until no then fully completely end in america until two years after you know it was supposed to a la juneteenth i mean shit we still got slavery now right with the 14th amendment and they're like yes, if you commit a crime we can we can do slave labor and if you look at the pictures from you know like corrections facilities in louisiana it's like okay yeah no that's an overseer on a horse he just wears a shirt so some of those some of those are old plantations some of those are just like literally old like plantations. Dead ass. like the big the big one that you're referring to whose name i'm forgetting right now angola you know the movie was 13th and yeah liberals were really Thank mad you. about that being uh about like prison labor being slavery for like a hot minute until they found out that like liberals did it too then it was like well what is slavery really you know some might say it's unpaid forced labor and it's like gen z maybe it's not as prevalent as but i, I imagine even most of us still remember like hearing the phrase remember the alamo and just now, like just in the last week or so, Time and like NPR and a bunch of people have been running these stories. Like, oh, by the way, we've been telling the story of the Alamo wrong. It's like, remember the Alamo? <laughs> <laughs> White liberals are have completely ignored the fact that the Supreme Court's just like, yeah, slavery is chill, guys. Like, it's completely off of their radar. They are actively celebrating Juneteenth as if it means something to them personally as if there's any kind of personal connection to them other than that's the day their great 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 granddaddy lost their slaves well i mean that's the day that bill bill sookie's boyfriend from true blood lost his slaves uh before he became a vampire <laughs> obviously i mean we get a lot of static for not celebrating the victories but you know having our asses beat by cops wearing kente cloths with pride themed <laughs> nightsticks is gonna be you know the kind of win that we needed and so they're gonna have the shikis on it's gonna be a full, <laughs> a full dashiki police force cars wrapped with like a face of mlk so he's looking down watching me get stomped out like <laughs> it's great they're gonna all make the wakanda thing before they beat people <laughs> <laughs>